Garçon, coffee. Welcome to the Coffee and Death Sticks podcast. I'm Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchant. And we are here because the monsters are here. We talked about the first three entries in the MonsterVerse last week, and now we had we have j- both just seen Godzilla vs. Kong, not in a theater. What did you think of Godzilla vs. Kong? I, uh, I really enjoyed this incredibly stupid movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it's It was... Knee jerk, it's my least favorite of the four in this frame. Mm. Um, least meaning like, you know, I just like the other three a little more. I think, um, I maybe maybe I like I don't know. It, it's to me, it kind of felt like a slightly less um, noisy version of King of the Monsters. Like it did, it was kind of just a generic monster blockbuster. Whereas those first two have a bit more personality. Um, and yeah, it was just it's. Yeah, just basically, it's just, it was really dumb, and I really liked it. You know, it's less than two hours, which is, think you know, there's something about just sitting down and watching, Mercifully. watching a two-hour monster movie, you know? So, yeah, I enjoyed it, but it's very dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I want to talk about it first just as its own movie, mm-hmm. and then I definitely want to talk about how it fits into the series a bit more later. Um, it's very dumb. I, it's easily the dumbest of the four i think i like it a little bit more than king of the monsters uh and to go back to that conversation briefly i i think this one had a little bit more of a director vision this the quality of the filmmaking was a bit better here in terms of a technical perspective the title it lives up to the title the 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 two major fight sequences are very good but the plot is horrid. It's so ludicrous. I, I, I couldn't believe where they went and how pretty quickly it went off the rails. It, it was like off the rails in 20 minutes. Yeah. Which, and which in some way is good. It's like, don't waste your time. If you're going to go off the rails, yeah. let's just go off the rails, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I generally speaking, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it. Um, but I enjoyed it mostly because of the fights. And like you said, since this was, thank goodness, under two hours, I think this is the shortest of the four oh, yeah. in the series. It must be. Yeah. I think the other ones are all at least just under two hours or a little, little over. The plot was ridiculous. Uh, they didn't focus too much on it. They gave you what they said they were going to give you, but then they also incorporated the most outrageous plot which i didn't find necessary so i guess we can talk about that a bit so yeah I, in, i'm actually interested yeah. to find out i i have a i'm predicting that we're gonna what i think it there's t- there's two movies here and my guess is that we each prefer one or the other one like one of us thinks so yeah i'll just briefly yeah um, yeah the plot is godzilla is now before he was sort of just like a benevolent thing, but now he's actively attacking humans. The film opens, I think it opens, I can't quite remember. It opens with him attacking this facility, this monarch facility in Pensacola, Florida. He senses some sort of challenge to his authority as the uh, apex 
apex creature on Earth. Uh, at the same time, the company that he apex, which is the name of the company, once <laughs> has some sort of <laughs> has a plan to contain Godzilla. And spoiler alert, it's Mecha Godzilla, and they need a new power source. So one of they think, oh, there's probably a power source at the center of the hollow earth because there's a hollow earth and how do we get the power source which then that brings in the king Kong plot which is Khan is probably from the hollow earth so we're going to we're going to follow him into the <laughs> into the earth's core to the little prehistoric Edgar Rice Burroughs land that exists in there and he's which you access from Antarctica correct uh, but only from Antarctica. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to harness that power source, bring it back to the surface, and Apex will use that power source to power their containment thing and uh, restore humanity to the top of Earth's food chain. That's basically the plot. And so there's there's two movies. There is Millie Bobby Brown the hilarious kid from Deadpool 2 and Hunt for the Wilder People and uh, Brian Tyree Henry are trying to find out what Apex is up to. So there's this one movie. It's this neon-colored conspiracy movie about three people trying to prove that Godzilla isn't behaving badly. Something mysterious has provoked him, and they that's what they go to find out. They find out it's Mechagodzilla. The King Kong plot is this like absurd science fantasy adventure where we follow King Kong, who's very sympathetic in the movie to the center of the earth and three characters kind of learn. I don't know what they learn, but they have a pleasant experience with King Kong. And then those two movies meet in Hong Kong and punch each other until a robot emerges. And then they, and then they punch the robot and I think that's probably the movie's biggest problem is that it's two movies, which I understand the logic of that make two monsters. So it's kind of two approaches. Um, Me personally, I could not stand the uh, Godzilla stuff. I say, I, okay. I thought that plot, the whole movie is stupid. The character in that, this is not the actor's fault. It's the writing. The characters in the Godzilla Apex uh, conspiracy plot are dumb movie characters. They're always quipping. They don't seem to take anything seriously. They're put in danger numerous times and are still joking around. And I just found them very obnoxious. There's a hackneyed corporate villain. Didn't care for it. The King Kong plot is also stupid, but it's stupid in like a like an excessive, like Peter Jackson way. It's just like this fun, dumb adventure. Like they're going to the center of the earth. Like that's ridiculous. But the three characters, Alexander Skarsgård, Rebecca Hall, and the deaf girl are likable. They behave as you would if you were following an ape to the center of the earth. So both plots are stupid. Both sets of characters are not well-written, but one has bland characters and one has just very obnoxious, like, Roland Emmerich characters. And that's kind of, that's kind of, that was kind of my take through the whole movie. And then there's two great scenes where they punch each other and they're the standout scenes by like, it's not even close. 
Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think you can get this movie down to 90 minutes uh, or less where I, I don't understand why the plot wasn't simply they're making a Mecha Godzilla. Okay, Apex is making Mecha Godzilla. Godzilla senses that they're making this creature. They're using the head of Ghidorah. That should have just been the plot there. Yes. Uh, I think you can completely omit the element of the energy from the hollow earth. And you can still incorporate King Kong. Yeah. There would be a couple of different ways to do this. One is just Skull Island is simply accessible and available. And Kong somehow senses this and figures out a way to get involved. Uh, or the human characters, like for Monarch, right, who are unaware of what Apex is doing, making Mechagodzilla, they bring Kong in to let them fight. Let them fight. You know, like it's the same idea from even the original Godzilla, which I think that then kind of keeps some of the continuity mm-hmm. among the movies, which I know doesn't shouldn't really matter, but uh, it does to me a bit, which I will briefly digress in that and say that all of these scripts have one common screenwriter, which I did not notice yeah. until this time, Max Bornstein. Yep. That's kind of incredible because this series has just completely fallen off the deep end. Uh, you know, like it was relatively grounded with Godzilla. I mean, I know it's ridiculous to talk about monster movies being grounded, but you know, the original Godzilla has that Chris Nolan trying to make the movie as realistic. What if a Godzilla actually appeared Mm -hmm. and they execute it pretty well. Kong Skull Island is more of like a silly throwback adventure movie with a, with a different take, but it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I like that they did that differently because King Kong has been told before. Mm-hmm. So this was interesting. But then these last two entries, especially this one have just completely lost any semblance of realism, particularly this one, because the whole hollow earth plot was just absurd. It was absurd. It was so pointless. And I think you can still tell this, you can still tell the story that needs to be told of, King Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong, whichever. And you just, you can completely omit that and still figure out a way for these two characters to fight over the presence of Mecha Godzilla. I agree. But at the same time, the Hollow Earth stuff for me was, apart from the monster, the two monster fights, that was the most entertaining stuff for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree with you. It had no purpose. It's it served no point. The Hollow Earth is one of the the kookiest conspiracy theories that exists. Like you, <laughs> people who believe in Hollow Earth are like genuinely nuts. Like Neil Adams, uh, the comic book writer. They just you always come across sounding completely bananas. And it's one. Excuse me, Neil Adams believes there's a Hollow Earth. Yes, the 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 guy. Oh, the guy who I, I know who. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he believes in the Hollow Earth uh, theory. And he's pretty like smug about it, which is hilarious because um, again, we're both fairly open-minded, but for anyone listening, there's no hollow earth. That's not a thing. It's it's ridiculous. It's just, it it is, yes, it's a movie about monsters, but going to the hollow earth is a bridge too far. I think in terms of believability, like that could have almost been its own King Kong movie, like a sequel to Kong Skull Island, an adventure to hollow earth. And then you have a Godzilla movie where Godzilla has to fight Mechagodzilla. These movies didn't, these two sort of styles didn't quite uh, mesh until there's that, you know, that end where Mechagodzilla starts destroying Han Kong 
and King Kong decides, okay, I'll help Godzilla uh, kill Mechagodzilla with my axe <laughs> made from Godzilla's dorsal fins that I found in my family's ancestral throne room that is at the center of Hollow Earth. <laughs> That's what the the axe was made from. Those were those are Godzilla's dorsal fins on all those. Axes. Oh, I think the idea is that in the in the long ago godzillas and king Kongs used to fight each other all the time and then yeah they made their way to the to the surface and all the king Kongs ended up on skull island and godzilla was the only godzilla left it's which that was another stupid element uh i i i think you could have just had this be you know godzilla and king kong are both apex predators yes but the constant references to they have an ancient rivalry they, they're destined to fight because they already no. their ancient rivalry is that they fought in a movie made in 1963 that we all know a movie uh, made like sarcastically issue yeah. one does like i made this as a joke because he didn't like how crass and commercial japanese culture was becoming so king Kong and godzilla is a stand-in for the sort of spectacle that was 1960s um uh japan and then this movie yeah it's it's as if this movie was very similar very similar not i mean obviously not in tone but in terms of like general and in special effects and in special effects no i know i mean i mean uh very similar to to another movie not to kink not to the original uh toho movie It, it reminded me in terms of its narrative beats like as from as uh batman v superman Oh yeah, right. Characters that we're told are destined to fight each other. There's nothing in the movie that demonstrates that, and they're brought together by a mechanized Frankenstein monster of the villain from the previous movie, and they put aside their differences to to save the world. And one creature is is sort of less sympathetic than the other. Um, Godzilla, (laughs) the the destruction Godzilla uh, commits on commits in Hong Kong in this movie is equal to the destruction that Superman commits in <laughs> Man of Steel. So it's just interesting that, you know, again, not to bring it back to Zack we should call it the Coffee and Zack Snyder podcast. Uh, yeah. Godzilla is, he's more malevolent in this movie. And they could have done more with that. You don't even need Mechagodzilla. Kyle Chandler has a line where he's like, Maddie, creatures change, you know, behavior changes. Maybe Godzilla's just kind of going rogue and he just doesn't want to share the earth with humans anymore. He doesn't like being followed and tracked and studied. And maybe he just snaps and decides, I'll just kill you all. And King Kong, who's more sympathetic to humans, uh, decides to fight him. You don't even need a robot Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean you don't need? What do you mean you don't need a robot Godzilla, Danny? What are you talking about? You do need one because you're making a Godzilla franchise and you have to have a uh, supervillain. So you need your Mecha Godzilla. It's funny you bring up. So I, I thought that's exactly what King of the Monsters was doing. There were a few different parts where it felt gross in terms of just setting up the next movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminded me of Age of Ultron a little bit doing that, where it was just, like you said, there were a few little throwaway lines of, you know, Godzilla could go rogue, he could change. And then the film ends with, what happened, you know, when he kills King Ghidorah and rips off the head and breathes fire through it or what, what it was, 
I remember it was cool. I don't remember exactly what happened, but uh, when he destroys that, uh, I think Bradley Whitford says, you know, I'm glad he's on our side or what happens if he's not on our side. So they were throwing in these little Easter eggs already to set up the idea of Godzilla becoming more malevolent. Then as you said to, you don't really need the whole Mecha Godzilla thing. That could have just been the setup for your movie. Uh, the only thing I don't like about that is I don't like retconning a bit that you've had now two movies of Godzilla being, you know, a, a hero, whatever, uh, you know, you're, you're your hero, I suppose, as the audience, you're rooting for Godzilla. Godzilla seems to be acting for humanity. So I don't like then, well, we want to have this versus movie and we therefore can't have, you know, like two protagonists. So we need to make Kong the more sympathetic character. So that's why I feared, as as you just said, I said the same thing in our in our MonsterVerse recap is I said, I'm afraid they're going to do the Batman v Superman thing where they have to team up and fight a, a villain. And you correctly suggested it will probably be Mechagodzilla. And well, shit, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And that, that, maybe that's the thing from the trailers that we both just, we sound like idiots being like, we called it. Um, but I didn't see any trailers for this movie. I didn't know Mechagodzilla was in the movie. I just knew there was that scene at the end of the last movies where uh, Charles Dance is a couple minutes away from, uh, his paycheck, and he's like, oh, look at that. And he gets all excited mm-hmm. about Ghidorah's big uh, big head, which in this movie is telepathically piloted by Ken Watanabe's character's son, which, what was the point of having his son in the movie? Like, why Did they say he was his son, or did you just know that from... He's Ren... Is there a line? He's Ren Sarazawa. And I googled it, and he's meant to be Ichiro Sarazawa's son. So why... <laughs> I mean, like, that's huge, right? That's huge. He's, he's a character. And I didn't even know. He is, a, he is arguably the heart of those first two movies in terms of his firm belief in what Godzilla means and how humanity should exist with the Titans. He's like the, he's the movie's message. He's the character in those two movies who's like, we can't just shoot them. There's a, there's a way we can coexist. And now his son is like a hipster who sits in a skull and telepathically controls a robot version of the monster that his father incinerated himself <laughs> to resurrect. And it's like, why put that in if it's not going to play any role in the film? And there's a lot of that in this movie of like, why is that there? You know what I mean? Like it's just there because it's probably from an earlier draft of a script or it's just something that someone thought was a cool idea. And it's just like, why not just throw it in, you know? Well, that's what's surprising about the same screenwriter, because that feels like it would be a different screenwriter coming in and and saw previous drafts. But it's like this one guy has been sort of the connective tissue uh, among these four movies. So I that is very surprising to me that that character was the son of Ken Watanabe. I had no idea. I didn't even think about it because, like you said, he was a douchebag hipster. At first, I just thought, okay, maybe I just think that last I, I heard Sarah Zhao and I'm like, that's. That's the name. And at first I thought, okay, I probably heard it wrong. Maybe it just sounds sim- the same to me. So I assumed that. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, no, he's literally meant to- the actor talks about this troubled relationship that they had. It's like, that's not in the movie. That's just, yeah. it's just nonsense. And there's a lot of that. If you read, if you go to the Wikipedia page for this movie and you read each little blurb next to the actor, all the things the actors say about their characters, it's like, okay, so that's what Adam Wingard told you when he offered you the job. That's not in the script and it's not in the movie. These are just vehicles to, I mean, literally in the case of, of, of both plot, they're just vehicles to be shipped to various places where the plot is taking place. 
literally. Wow. That that's I'm I am shocked to hear that. That didn't that did not seem like he would be that character. And that's very surprising for the same screenwriter to be involved. But it it's interesting too that this again, you know, you had Monarch was a very Monarch was the organization monitoring and studying all of these Titans. They aren't even involved really in this movie. It's just Kyle uh, at the beginning and the end. That's it. He's just walking around and they even Lance Reddick is in this movie. He was in the opening credits. And I remember I said out loud, like, oh, Lance Reddick's in this. Like, I love Lance Reddick, but we both love Lance Reddick from Fringe, of course. That is the film. He's in greatest crime. They Lance Reddick in the credits, and he he's obviously meant to be like a very high-ranking monarch official. Mm-hmm. And it's like I would have loved to have seen that character because it's Lance Reddick and he's great, but he's got like, I think he's got one line. I think he genuinely has one. That's it. I I think he's only on screen in one scene with one line. That's it. And he is in your opening credit. That's so his role. So I I wonder what editing was like for this movie. Because I can't imagine you have these two disparate plots going on and all of these characters and obviously the two you know, titular monster figures. So I bet this was like a, originally like a two and a half hour cut. Yeah. And then they just got rid of a bunch of nonsense, especially when they realized how ludicrous the plot was and just knowing that people just wanted to see the fights. So they probably cut out a tremendous amount of number of scenes. I mean, I'm glad they did. I don't want this movie to be longer. Like I don't we, No, I agree. It's just a shame yeah. that, you, you know, they had, a, they obviously had some, a bigger plot involving uh, Lance Reddick and Kyle Chandler both very good actors. And instead we kind of got, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a lot of time was being devoted to the the film's villain. Um, is it Simmons or Simons? Demian Elshear's character. Him and his daughter are like these evil, nefarious corporate scientists. And at first it seems like he sent his daughter there knowing she would die. And it shows how kind of cold and calculating he is, but she always had an escape plan. And then she just get King Kong crushes their ship and she blows up. It's like all these little things. It's like, what is the, and she's very antagonistic to Alexander Skarsgård. So it's like, okay, they're going to argue about what to do about King Khan. No, they don't do that. They, they don't share any more dialogue after that scene where they're a little antagonistic to each other. There's never any like uh, relation. It's not like that. It's like the lost world thing. You have the hunters and the gatherers. I thought it was going to be here are the corporate suits who want to weaponize and pillage. And here are the three idealists who are like, we're going to do sign language and listen to Khan and like, no, none of that. It was just, it's just, yeah, it's just so, it's so, um, it's so strange. It, the movie doesn't need to be longer. It needs a better script. The script for this movie is awful, both in the, just in plotting, like the dialogue, who cares about the dialogue? It's the plotting, the, pl- the plot of this movie, the story, the way they structure it is terrible. Yeah, and it feels like they don't care about the plot that much, and they recognize we just need to get to the fight scene. So then why make a convoluted plan of having to go to Hollow Earth and acquire this additional energy, which I, I want to get to specific dumb things. Uh, <laughs> that You just mentioned uh, the corporate Stooges' daughter getting killed. And so this continues the trend of minor characters being killed unclearly and like kind of off-screen. Um, just like Sally Hawkins in the last movie, it was like a very similar death scene. I thought of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the very dumb moments that stood out to me all have to do with the Hollow Earth, <laughs> either the access or then well, pretty much just the Hollow Earth. But oh, oh. The, um, when they're first entering the Hollow Earth, they keep mentioning 
like reverse gravity and how it's inverted inverted gravity and that's what inverted gravity that's what kills um uh stellan skarsgård or bill skarsgård bill skarsgård he went to all earth before and he dies and that's why alexander skarsgård has a beard at the beginning and is sad yes so why why does that have no effect on king kong just because he's a titan um you weren't supposed to notice that Oh, okay. That's, All right. So there's that. That's the answer. And, it, <laughs> and I, I also found it humorous that they kept showing the inside of Alexander Skarsgård's ship. Yes. And like the effects that were happening to them. And then once they were safe and in the hollow earth, they then cut to Rebecca Hall and the little girl just completely safe in their ship. I a, wasn't even sure that they were in a ship going down into the hollow earth. Yeah. And B was, so therefore was unconcerned with their well-being until I saw, oh, they're safe. And we didn't want to show the, you know, these ladies getting <laughs> in, in a potentially dangerous situation. Right. And the way they get out of the hollow earth is they just go up the tunnel that Godzilla made. So that was my next, yeah. Is it really that hard to get to the hollow earth? No, technically you could just have Godzilla open a little pathway for you. Like I understand why that works because they don't have to go through the portals that exist at the center of the Antarctican continent. But it's like, it's this so much of the, a chunk of the movie is how are we going to get to the hollow earth? We need these special vehicles and we need to like prepare for the gravity and it killed my brother. And then they just fly out. <laughs> they just yeah. fly out up to Hong Kong and they're in, they get to Hong Kong in like, like 20- seconds. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not sure what the physics or how it works, but when they go into the hollow earth, they're, they're clearly going through some sort of like portal that maybe bends sort of time and distances. That's what, I think that's what they're trying to make it seem like. Cause the idea that you can just walk down a tunnel in Antarctica and then, Oh look, it's the, it's the entrance to hollow earth. But then at the end, they just fly up a tunnel and they're there for the, for the uh, finale to watch the fight scene. Cause I'm thinking as this is all happening, it's, my brain's thinking to the third act, like, all right, so how how is King Kong going to get to Hong Kong <laughs> from from this location when, like you said, we just spent a substantial amount of time figuring out how to get into this hollow earth? Then Godzilla, I, I mean, <laughs> I laughed when it happened. It was visually pretty neat, but he literally just uses his atomic breath and blows a hole not to China. I was thinking of that, like, oh, I'm going to dig a hole to China. He digs a hole out of China. Yeah, and he blows a hole into the ground that conveniently ends up directly to the point in the hollow earth where King Kong and our characters are. So Hong Kong and where King Kong is happens to be directly above that location. According to this movie, Hong Kong, King Kong's ancestral throne room, and Antarctica are the <laughs> are the most that that's that's the earth that is the most important line in our in our planet the the road from hong kong to king kong's throne room to antarctica apparently they're all just stacked on top of each other in this in this film's world do you think hong kong was named after king kong no maybe they maybe there's a version of the script where there's (laughs) awful maybe they maybe they cut it out uh given recent events but i mean it's just like no kidding it's it it was yeah, it, <laughs> it was really stupid. Like, yeah, he Godzilla, he he pauses in Hong Kong. I think in the movie's defense, he hears King Kong like rattling around underneath. Like he can hear him. He's like, I think King Kong's 
doing something under here. And he, he like looks up at the sky and then just drills to the, to the, the spot that he hears uh, King Conan. That's exactly that's the logic. And that like, again, these are monster movies, but you compare that to um, you compare that to 2014 Godzilla, where all the things that happen, you know, the, the most unbelievable thing in that movie is that the main character is at every stage of the effort to continue Godzilla. Is, is that the main character is Aaron Taylor Johnson? Yeah, that, the most unbelievable part is like he always ha- he's on the train that gets attacked by Mo- by um, the the Mutos. Like he's always in the exact spot he needs to be so that he can be a the part of the action. That's the most unbelievable part. That's also like, kind of like a movie. That's just a dumb movie thing. So you go from that to hollow earth and robotic monsters and telepathic communication. And it turns out that not only does the little um, girl from the island, um, Jaina, was that her name? And they said that all... I don't, re- I don't remember any character's name from this movie. Yeah, all the, all the Iwi people from Con- Skull Island, they all died. It's like, oh, okay. So that was... That's good to that know. Happened off a, genocide. a genocide happened off screen, whatever. She speaks to Khan in uh, sign language, which I actually thought was neat. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That that works. But it's not just that. She can like psychically speak to Khan. So it's like it, the whole, like they keep taking these ideas. She can sense when Godzilla is coming. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you're, you're going, you're going too far. It sounds stupid. The movie's called Godzilla vs. Khan but you are going too far in terms of what I'm prepared to believe. <laughs> yeah. Sounds- yeah. Again, it sounds ridiculous to, to say it's unrealistic for a monster movie, but like you said, the, the 2014 version is plausible in many of its, with many of its ideas. A little girl uh, who lives on the Island that Khan is from, that his whole species is from learning and teaching King Khan sign language I totally buy that. Like 100%. That's great. What a neat idea that she can speak to him telepathically and knows when Godzilla's nearby. No, I'm sorry. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which again, I think you, you can make this movie. You, you've already established uh, Godzilla in King Kong and did a pretty good job of it, but you can make this movie simply be their little power struggle. And then, if you really want to, you can simultaneously have the Mecha Godzilla storyline. I, I could see, you know, oh, a corporation is trying to figure out a way to save the world. So they create this this monstrosity that's going to fight these titans. I, I think that's completely believable. But yes. the added element of it needs energy from the hollow earth that only the titan. It's like, no, just cut all that out. And, and then the last issue with that was when they actually acquire the energy. They upload it on a USB flash drive. Yeah. That was the other ludicrous. I, I was expecting they had to like harness the energy and get it back. So, so when they first entered the hollow earth, I'm trying to remember where Godzilla is geographically, but I assumed they would then, you know, maybe they wouldn't show the journey again, but that they would, you know, have to acquire some of the energy, Mm. leave that location. And then maybe, you know, then the corporate suits run off with the energy. They bring it to the lab where Mechagodzilla is. And then Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall are left to say, well, we need to get Kong there to like, I don't know, to stop either or both or whatever. Maybe they, they aren't quite aware of the Mechagodzilla of it all yet. Right. Um, that's all cleaner than what we got in the movie right there. Even if they still went with the energy stuff. But the, like you said, the, yeah, the the blowing the hole into the ground and these characters are now just 
climbing through, uh, I don't even know what, like, like different dimensions, different, you know, and all of this land. And uh, then they're just in Hong Kong. It's literally because that's it's, where the movie needed them to be. It's, it, you're, it's like you're talking to a little kid. They're in a secret throne room and they climb up a tunnel and they end up in Hong Kong. Like it's that thought out. And yeah, they, again, they're, they're harvesting energy from hollow earth. That's ridiculous. But at least have them harvest energy from hollow earth. Have them chisel <laughs> and put things in. <laughs> they just download it and send it to Hong Kong. And the villain's like, excellent. He makes he turns around to the to the, those main characters, Millie Bobby Brown and company, makes a supervillain speech. Mechagodzilla wakes up and then kills him. It's like, what is this? Like, wh- why are why is this? You here's what you could have done. Like you said, a plot where Millie Bobby Brown and her friend and the uh, Brian Tyree Henry, the conspiracy theorist, what's going on at Apex? Meanwhile, King Kong and Godzilla are fighting while yes. Hall and Alexander Skarsgård. And uh, Jaina from the island are trying to figure out why this is happening. And then those two stories meet in Hong Kong. And there's the big finale. You Credits. You don't, exactly. But instead, there's this whole convoluted thing where they go to the center of the earth. The thing for me is that that is the part of the movie that I found the most entertaining, even though mm-hmm. it, it, it hurt the movie. It was like, right. like there was a Godzilla movie and then it would cut to a separate King Kong movie. Like that's what it felt like. And then there's two scenes where they meet and fight. It didn't feel like one story. It felt like two stories that come together because it's an hour and 45 minutes. It's time for the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So we're the just going to go up a tunnel and, <laughs> and that's the end. There's no more plot. We're done with the story. We are right. done. <laughs> so that that's why I do. I certainly hear what you mean. And I, I, I would say it's certainly the, the worst of the four scripts by far. Um, if we're talking about this series um, as the MonsterVerse, I, I would rank it either third or fourth. Mm. It might get the slight edge just because it was visually better done than Godzilla King of the Monsters. Because as we discussed in the last episode, we hate the color palette. Really? And yeah, it's really ugly. And the fights are all like there's weather or other things that are distracting you from you know, just watching the fight. And this one has a lot of nice wide shots. Um, These they, fight scenes are, are fantastic because he's shooting, yeah. like he's shooting, you know, a Bond movie. It, he's a, he doesn't shoot it from the perspective of humans watching monsters. He shoots it as yes. two monsters in a barroom brawl. They're great. Both of those scenes are, they are worth the price of admission, I will say. Yeah, it was a neat set piece to have the first fight on the water and like on the, the battle carriers. I thought that was really a neat idea. And then they, you know, fine, they earned their big fight in a major city. Um, but like you said, the way it was filmed, it was totally right for this movie. And a lot of things I was like imagining beforehand, I was just thinking like, wouldn't Godzilla just shoot atomic fire at King Kong? And they came up with cool ways yeah. to like figure that out. Like he, he would either Godzilla would hit or uh, Kong would either hit Godzilla before that could happen. Mm-hmm. Or King Kong just goes on the run and then he starts using the yeah. city sort of like his jungle. It's like, Oh, that's well, all right. The, that's thing they, the thing they do is instead of it just being two wild animals going at it for survival, it's these two like apex predators who are like, I'm going to fight you a specific way because they both sense each other's it's yeah. It's like, it's like something out of like uh, an action film. Like it's like the, it's like watching like Sam Elliott and Patrick Swayze punch each other in a bar. It's like, we don't want it to end quickly because this is about how we secretly love each other. Like that's what it felt like. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Like, yeah. It was like, 
he the movie treated them like that they're the main character which is appropriate they treat like these are the main characters so it's like so why did you take us to the center of the earth no for no absolutely no reason absolutely no reason and i and again i shouldn't care too much about continuity if i a minor criticism i have with these fights is i I think back to the 2014 godzilla and we talk about how one thing that film does accomplish very well is the sense of how massive Godzilla is and the presence of Godzilla. And, you know, every time he moves and you, you, a lot of the, the camera angles of Godzilla is from the perspective of the human characters on the ground level. And I love that. And I also love when then you do get the fight scenes, Godzilla moves so slow because he's so like hulking and massive by this one, he's like he's moving so fast and he's crawling around and scratching at God, uh, yeah. King Kong and they're moving, you know. And then the way the cameras are, it makes them seem almost smaller in a way, since it's not from the perspective of. Yeah, this. So true. I feel like that, like size, like he, like Godzilla, almost seemed smaller in this movie than when I think right. to the 2014. When I'm sure, of course, he's the same height and size and all of that. They make King Kong bigger, and yes, the city then becomes. It's like at the end of Hut Fuzz when Timothy Dalton and Simon Pegg are fighting in the model village, like it turns into that. It's like kind of yeah. starts to look ridiculous. It looks like two normally sized things fighting in some sort of miniature environment. And you're right. 2014 is like, he is unfathomably big and like looking at him, you're like, Oh, everything I know about life on earth <laughs> changed. Like you're like, Holy shit. Like that. What is that? Uh, and this there, it's just, um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just nonsense. But, it's just a bunch of nonsense. And I understand that's visually appropriate. Yeah. That visually they told the story they meant to tell in 2014 and convey the idea of what a hulking presence he is. But in this one, it's like we just want to watch them fight. And like you said, now that you have two care care whatever two monsters of the same size, King Kong's the perspective yeah, they are. Yeah, King Kong is a character. You're right. He's, he's um, everyone always likes King Kong because. He's like the last of his kind and humans are shitty. And you know, there's always that, there's always that story. And there's a lot of references. There's Denim University, Carl Denham from the original movie and the, the Peter Jackson movie. And then I looked this up, John, John, Lance Reddick's uh, character is named Gillerman. And the director of the horrible 1970s King Kong is John Gillerman. So there's obviously, a little, I don't know, these little, these little nuggets, but again, it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's just these nice little, it's, obviously made by people who like these characters enjoy this franchise and we're just kind of given a blank check to kind of do what they wanted. And this is, I don't feel like Adam Wingard's vision was compromised. This feels like the movie he probably wanted to make. This doesn't seem, I think so. this does not feel like an artistic thing butchered by a studio. This feels like he wanted to make a big monster movie and here's a big monster movie. Yeah, it accomplishes goals. And I, I found this refreshing. I heard him talk about the lack of a post-credit scene. Mm. I don't know if you heard of this. Mm. And, uh, you know, so again, this kind of ties in nicely with our last episode, just looking at the whole MonsterVerse and comparing this one to the, the previous three entries. But he made it a point to say, you know, there's no post-credit scene because we don't really know what we're doing next. And we kind of need a breather. And it that was really refreshing to see that this movie did not in any way feel like it was setting up another movie. And it's kind of like, where do you go after this? Um, Because, you know, we've now spent a couple of movies with Godzilla and a couple with Kong and, 
you had them fight together. It was really satisfying in terms of the monster fights. So where do you go next in your, in your monster verse? Where do you go with these excellent human characters that are yeah. so memorable? That I know all of their names immediately. Well, that's the thing that, I mean, I thought that at the end of 2014 Godzilla, I was like, they're making a franchise out of this. Like there's nothing to, to do it. They did have a, a general uh, outline. They had a, a rough plan. I think you almost could have made a Godzilla movie, a King Kong movie, and then just a Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. I don't know how important ultimately the last movie was, except for an opportunity for a big Hollywood version of Mothra, Rodan, and King Ghidorah. That seems to be what the point of that movie was. All None of the other Titans exist in this film. I think it's right that Godzilla killed them all. So it w- I didn't know if that was supposed to be understood because the last movie ends with him being the king of the monsters and they're all bowing down to him. And it's like, I couldn't remember if there was a throwaway line in this one where they said he killed them all or they were just, he just snapped, absent. he snapped and burned them all. So maybe it's because Jon Snow wouldn't marry him. And so he decided that he wanted to kill all of his subjects and we, and it wasn't earned. And now it's just disappointing. Half the Targaryens went mad, didn't they? What's the saying? Every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. Yeah, the number of off-screen things that happen yes. between all of these movies, yeah. that's also... So it's like, if you want to drag out your movie a little bit and make it closer to two hours than 90 minutes, instead of the Hollow Earth thing, you could have had some of these things as like a prelude to, to before your main... Could have been like, you know, how the Raiders of Lost Ark movies have like the 10-minute yes. opening. That's like the other movie you could have had... Godzilla like hunting down all the other Titans that right. you're opening. And what's now you're really casting him as a villain. Yeah. What's wrong with Godzilla? What's wrong with Godzilla is this secret robot is emitting waves that are driving him nuts. And so he just keeps attacking Titans randomly, but instead it's just, that's a nice little note. He just, he just shows up in Florida. <laughs> he murders eight people. Pensacola, no less. <laughs> Pensacola, Florida. And he just destroys an entire factory and then swims away. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, again, yeah. it, it, it's Godzilla versus Khan, but there are ways to do it in a slightly less um, insultingly dull and stupid way. There is a way to do it smartly. James Cameron would have made the smart version of this movie. You know, he would have, there's a way to do this in a slightly more classy, classy manner. What? Why did Godzilla spare King Kong when he defeated him the, the third time? Um no one else has made this joke, but it's because both of their mothers are named Martha. <laughs> I'm the first to make that joke. Say Martha! Martha, why did you say that name? Stop! Please, stop! Why did you say that name? Nice. I think it's because they, um, he sees, you're talking about when he's, when he's standing on his chest, right? Before? Yes. Yeah. I think it's just, he's like, Okay, I kicked your ass, but you seem pretty cool. <laughs> I'm gonna leave let's you. be best friends. I'm gonna leave. I think it's more like I'm gonna leave you alone. Like don't ever, don't ever talk to me or my son again. And he walks away. And then it's the fight with Mechagodzilla that makes them friends or whatever. But that's the sense I got that he's he is impressed by how uh, much of a fight King Khan put up. 
I mean, so he lets him live. He spares yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. It's like after killing all of the other Titans off screen. Yes. Maybe they didn't put up as much of a fight. And he's just like, you have to live with the knowledge that I beat you. I have no idea. And how are we supposed to know? They're two giant monsters. <laughs> it's just because Khan does. Yeah. He is dying right after that. They have to defibrillate him with the, um, <laughs> the whole Earth vehicle, which, which is ultimately what that vehicle is for. Is to just yeah. restart King Kong's heart at the end of the movie. I like you can't make these things up after this conversation that I did when we started. I, I think <laughs> I think so as well. Um, and, and I was going to conclude with you know what? Let, maybe it's time for this series to end. As we said, we we sort of enjoyed all four of these movies um, before you really jump the atomic reptilian monster instead of the shark or whatever before the giant eight. Uh, maybe you just stop here. I don't know how you can get bigger than Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, it's even doing well financially despite the pandemic. It's made a decent amount of money in the United States and doing very well overseas. So it's been like a kind of the first big hit post COVID-19. So it's like, maybe let that be your legacy and just stop it here. Like Alex Wingard said, we didn't even come up with a post credit scene because we don't know what's coming up next. So you know, let Marvel be its shared universe. Uh, you had a cute little monster verse. Let it, let it be. Um, so ultimately, would you recommend this film, Danny? I guess so. I mean, the first two movies are, they're real movies. And these last two movies are kind of, they're not what Martin Scorsese would call cinema. So I would say... I would absolutely recommend the first two easily. I think those are both really great, fun movies. I enjoyed Godzilla vs. Khan. I think a lot of people will. It's just, it's it's pretty it's pretty stupid. Would you say this is better than like a Michael Bay, Roland Emmerich? Oh my God, so much. Yeah, yeah. So, much so even though we're saying it's dumb and the Hollow Earth plot was baffling, it, it it's still better than those. And you know, the cinematography and special effects and sound and all of these things are great especially during the monster sequences so it's a b movie it's a really expensive b movie b movies aren't necessarily bad movies they're just like kind of cheesy and schlocky this isn't like a terrible film it's just it's just really dumb it's just a terrible script it's it's a terrible script that that the director was able to make more out of and so are those poor animators working in a sweatshop they did a really good job it is so much better then Michael Bay, Roland Emmerich, then a lot of big, loud CGI spectacles that are out there and exist. It's so much better than those, but it's not that great. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, a tepid recommendation from us, but thank you very much for listening to our recap of Godzilla vs. Kong.